go ahead and begin with our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we've had uh, two reflections so far. Uh, first one, sort of focusing on the father and his relationship to the younger son and that need to be open to receiving the other and allowing ourselves to be received, the importance of merciful love. And then early this morning, we looked at the phenomenon of shame, a phenomenon that sort of keeps us away and forces us or pushes us away from people uh, where we are not willing to receive merciful love. Now, for this talk and for the one that we are going to encounter later tonight, I want to move from looking more at the younger son to focusing more on the older son that comes in the second part of the parable. He... The younger son, if we pay attention, unlike the, the older son, unlike the younger son, clearly does not allow himself to be received in merciful love. He not only is not embraced by the father, he also refuses to even come into the house. Why is that? Well, it's not because of shame, as he himself says. He's very obedient and does whatever the father asks of him. He's always been a good son. So if it's not shame, what is the reason why that he does not allow himself to be received? And I think we're going to see that there are sort of two reasons why, and we're going to focus on this maybe the smaller one uh, to today, this afternoon, and then look at the larger one a little bit later on this evening. And the hint comes with what the older son says after the father comes out to him when he realizes the older son refuses to come in. And what does that younger son say? What does he do? I am here with working for you every day and you've never even given me a goat to cook and party with my friends, yet your son goes and squanders all of your wealth on prostitutes and you slaughter the fatted calf for him and you throw this big party. This is not fair. That's the key, that if you look at it, what is the older son doing? The older son is comparing himself to the younger son. He's comparing himself and what he has or he doesn't have and his relationship to the father. This is the thing that stops him from being received because he's too busy comparing himself to the younger son. Rather than focusing on his identity that should come from his relationship to the father, he's too busy, focused 
on comparing himself to others. And that's the second thing that we are tempted to fall into that keeps us from being received in merciful love is that tendency we have to compare ourselves and what we have and what we do and who we are to other people. And that's what we're going to explore a little bit today. Comparison. Why do we do this? Well, I'm sure we can do some research and see that there are some origins and evolution. Scriptures would probably say that it's a result of our own fall, of original sin, of concupiscence. That we tend to want to compare ourselves with other people and what they have and what they've been given instead of focusing on what we've been given. We're too worried about what they have or they don't have to focus on what we do have and what we have been given. And so this is the real irony. The, the, the older son is so worried about what the younger son is doing and what he doesn't have that he doesn't even realize that he has it all. Because if you go back to the very beginning of the parable, when the younger son comes and says, I want my share of the inheritance, the father gives it to him. But he also gives it to the older son too. In a real sense, the father does not own the house. The father doesn't have anything. He's already by that time separated it and given it to the younger son who's wasted it and also given it to the older son. So it really is technically the older son's house. He has everything that is in there that belongs to him, including, as we'll see, the relationship to the father. But he's so concerned with his brother and comparing himself to his brother that he cannot appreciate and see what he has been given and what he has. He's blind to it because of this comparison. And so we would normally say this comparison leads to the sin of envy. Envy is where we look at what other people have and we want to possess it. And so this is that covetousness, covetousness of the heart. I want what this person has. I want what this person possesses. It needs to be mine. I don't have it. And so this envy and this comparison can be a lot about a lot of different things. Most often we'd say it's about possession. So that person has a bigger house. That person has a nicer car. It could also be about other things, relationships. I wish I had as good a relationship with my parents as that person has. I wish that I was friends with that person or had as many friends as that other person has. One of the big ways for couples, it can be about marriages. We can sit and say, our marriage is so terrible. I wish I had a marriage like that. I wish I had a spouse like that. We can also, though, compare kids. We can compare a number of things. One of the, ironic, the strange things that people love to compare, and this is something that, that I see a fair amount, 
we can compare holiness. I wish I was as holy as that person. I hate that person because they're holier than I am. Well, you start hating people who are holier than you are, you've got a real problem. It's time to go to confession. The looks of another person, how they approach the, the world, their hair, their fingernails, whatever it is. We can be very envious of others and want what they have, but the root of that is the fact that we're comparing. If we weren't paying attention to them and their possessions and what they had, and were more grounded in the present moment and what's going on in our lives, then guess what? We'd be a lot happier. But when we begin to do this, when we begin to compare, we ultimately begin to question our own identity. It goes back to that identity question I mentioned earlier. If all of a sudden we're so busy comparing ourselves to others, we're not grounded in reality. We're not grounded in our relationship with God the Father who has given us so many things. We're not grounded in our own marriage or our own relationships. And so what happens, we begin living and thinking we don't have enough. Or even more, I'm not enough. I'm not enough for God. I'm not enough for our spouses, my spouse. I'm not enough for my kids. If I had this, I'd be enough. If I had that, I'd be enough. And so a deep insecurity can set in because we've taken our eyes off of the Father. We're not focusing on our relationship to Him. We're focused on another and so we're not open to merciful love. It's like, here is the Father wanting to embrace us, wanting to give us every good gift, but we're too busy focused over here. We're too distracted. And so he's like, pay attention, I'm here. Here are all the gifts, everything I have is yours. But we are too busy worrying about something else because we feel then that we're insecure. We're not worthy of that love. There's no way that he could actually be offering that to me in a very sincere way. So how practically, though, does this insecurity, this confusion about our identity surface in our lives? How does this comparison, this tendency to compare and not be content with what we have, manifest? Well, traditionally, we'll say it manifests in two different ways. And we have some sort of little catchy phrases that you may have heard that describe them both. Both men and women do these, although for the sake of at least sort of argument, I'm gonna say women are more prone to do one and men are more prone to do the other. And the first one is what we call compare and despair. Compare and despair. Women love to do this. Guys, a little bit, but not as much. We begin comparing. Uh, that person has much more beautiful hair than I do. This person has a nicer purse. They have a better husband. They have a wonderful, more wonderful life. They pray more rosary than I do. I'm such a terrible person. I'm going to despair, and I'm going to spend my time beating myself up. 
I'm going to be time, I'm going to tear myself to shreds. I'm going to rip myself to pieces. I'm going to have this pity party. And what we do is we turn in on ourselves. We put up walls. God couldn't love me. I'm not enough. I don't have these things. And consistently just despair. There's no hope. And we ruminate on these things and our imperfections. And if we had this, our lives would be better. If I had this, I'd be more lovable. And sometimes, it gets even worse, when the despair and depression gets bad enough, we will begin to self-meditate. Medicate, I'm sorry, self-medicate to be able to ease the pain. And so this compare and despair, I realized a few years back, is the root of one of the sins that women clearly struggle with a lot more than men. Men tend to struggle a lot more with lust. That's the thorn in their side. They're always gonna struggle with this. Women, however, y'all like to struggle with gossip. I never hear men confess gossip. But women love to do it. And they'll often come and say, Father, I need to confess gossip because I'm prideful. Oh, no, no, no. That's not the reason you gossip. We don't gossip because we're prideful. We gossip because we're insecure. We gossip because we're insecure, so I'm going to tear all these other people down so that I can build myself up. And I can feel a lot better about myself. And so that's what happens. We're so busy about comparing ourselves to others, we're going to beat ourselves up, or we're going to despair, and our other little hobby is going to be gossiping and bringing other people down so that we can feel better about ourselves. Now this is a, an expression of another form this comparison takes that men like to do, but women often can do it also. They can do it in a more vicious way than men do, but you'll understand what I mean when I say it. And this is another fun little phrase. Instead of compare and despair, it is compete and defeat. Compete and defeat. Men like to do this. Now, we have our own insecurities too. Men, instead of despairing, they can often take it out in aggression. And so one of my best examples of this comes from a nature show I was watching. I like to watch nature shows. I don't know why, I just think animals are cool. And so I was watching this one in HD, it was one of the, the David Attenborough specials, and it was in the mountains somewhere, like in Africa or South America, and these big ibex, ibexes, the big crazy horns, they were competing. They were fighting and you know, crashing their horns into each other, getting really, really bad headaches. And then one would beat that one and the other would come and fight and it was just this crazy chaos. And I'm like, whoa, these are some awesome Ibexes. They are competing and they're defeating. Until David Attenborough narrates as the camera pans away that these ibex that are fighting are all a bunch of beta males. While on the top of the mountain, there is the alpha male. And this is a really big ibex. And he's all by himself, and he's got his harem of does following him around. He doesn't need to fight anybody. He's the boss. 
He secured himself. He's looking down at those stupid, insecure beta males competing and defeating. He doesn't need to worry about that. Because that's the point. Whenever we, particularly as men, start puffing ourselves up and we start, you know, looking, my, my biceps are bigger than that dude's biceps. I'm tougher than that guy. I've got a bigger car. I've got more powerful uh, lawnmower, whatever it is. <laughs> the posturing and the bravado and the comparing of bodies or whatever like the guys like to do. Why are you doing that? Not because you're prideful, because you're insecure. You are a beta ibex. The real alpha male doesn't need to do that. He is content and secure in who he is and his relationship with the ladies or with his wife. And so it's an insecure person who competes and defeats, but really, and we're going to get into this next time, because of the insecurity and the posturing, what is that all for? It's there to say, don't look at the fact that I'm insecure and my heart's really weak. I'm going to put up a bunch of walls. I'm going to scream and yell. I'm going to show you how tough I am. But in reality, I am a weak, scared, fearful child. That's the reality. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later on today. And so, but all of this, regardless if it's compete and defeat or compare and despair and whatever manifestation it takes, it's all done to build ourselves up because we feel tremendously inadequate, insecure, and often unlovable. There's no way that I am as beautiful as that person, as strong as that person, as popular as that person, as holy as that person, as tough as that person, as rich as that person, whatever it is. It's all rooted, our comparison, our competition, in our own insecurity. And where it really gets bad is whenever that comparison, that envy, the despair in the competition when it's pitted against our spouse. And that's one thing comparing to your neighbors or to your siblings or to the lady or the guy, the guy you see at the gym or the lady you see in the pew. When all of a sudden we become envious and compare ourselves to our spouse. He has so much more free time than I do. She has so much more friend, many more friends than I do. Look at all the attention she gets from the kids. They don't pay any attention to me. Look at all the success he's had at work, and I sit here at home. When that type of comparison starts setting in more than anything else, that is going to lead to a lot of volatility in marriage, a lot of animosity, a lot of resentment, a lot of problems. So regardless of where it is, and our relationships to other people and the way that we compare and we are not able to be received in merciful love, what's the solution? How do we overcome this? And the truth is, there's really only one way. There's really only one way. And that solution is gratitude. Because if we were more thankful for who we are and for what we have, 
we're not going to worry about other people. So if I'm driving down the road in my little 1995 Honda Accord with 225,000 miles, and some guy pulls up next to me with the newest Mercedes-Benz or a Maserati sports car, I'm not going to want that. I'm not going to feel insecure because I'm happy with what I have. You really should be happy with what you have because the amount of money you're going to pay to maintain one of those cars <laughs> is clearly not worth it. It's clearly not worth it. That's the issue. We're not thankful for what we have. The younger son, the older son wasn't thankful with what he had been given by the father. He didn't even realize what he had. And so I think that's probably even the bigger, deeper issue. We're not thankful because we're not paying attention. We don't even realize the gifts that have been given to us, so it becomes difficult for us to be grateful for those. And so that practice, I often say of the exam and at the end of the day, if you journal, you can do it this way. If not, you can just speak it to heaven or someone else. To be able to name two or three things from that day that you're thankful for. Now, you can say, okay, well, that's pretty easy. I'm thankful for the beautiful day. I'm thankful that God loves me. No, those don't count. Why? Because it's really easy to be thankful for those types of things because God's given them to everyone. I'm really thankful for the beautiful weather in California, but guess what? Everyone gets to enjoy that, but at least if you're here. I'm in Louisiana. We don't get to enjoy it, so I have a right to be thankful for it. <laughs> in the same way, we can be thankful for these broad, overarching things that God gives to everyone. And it's not wrong to be thankful for those things, but those types of things are not going to change our minds and our hearts. We need a personal expression of love. A father who has five children can go every day, hey kids, I love you, you're all wonderful, I'm going to work, I'll see you later. Hey kids, y'all are all fantastic, here's a kiss, go to bed, I'll see you tomorrow morning. That's not a bad thing, but if that's all the father gives to the child, guess what? That child is going to grow up to be very resentful and angry. The father has to show particular, personalized, unique expressions to each individual, unique child. That's what needs to happen. Maybe there's a balance of both, but if we go through our entire lives and we don't receive those personal expressions of love, then something is going to change in our hearts. But if we do, then we realize how loved we are. So if we're going to say that God is our loving Father, but all He does is He says, hey everybody, I love you all, see you later, whole world. But no, we believe he shows every day particular, unique expressions of love that are meant only for me and for you. That's what we've got to focus on. And that's often a little bit more difficult to recognize and a little bit more difficult to say thank you for. It's like when that person comes up and says, hey, I want to thank you for this great thing or pays us this compliment. We get really, really nervous or the person gives us a gift. It's very difficult. 
We talked about it. Much more easier to give to than to receive. And because it's difficult to receive, it's often very difficult to say thank you. And I'm guilty of this too. Father, people come to me, Father, that was a wonderful homily or a wonderful retreat. And I'm going to say, oh, you know, well, I could have done this talk better. Or I could have said this joke better. Or it wasn't as good as last year. Where my response should be, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. We're all guilty of it, myself included. And so we've got to be able to focus on these things. And it's not prideful to say, you know, I'm really thankful for the fact that I have beautiful eyes. Or I'm thankful for the fact that, you know, hey, I still have all my hair and I'm 60 years old. That's not me, but, you know, uh, whatever it is. So it could be something about our personal appearance. It doesn't mean that we're vain or we're, we're prideful about it. If we realize and we appreciate what God has given to us in our own bodies, we're not going to be worried about comparing ourselves to the fact that we don't have the other things the Hollywood stars have or our friends have or those narcissistic individuals that we see all over magazines have. You don't want those people's lives. They're miserable. Most of it's fake anyhow. What about a particular grace we received in prayer? A compliment that someone paid to us personally? A kind word or an inspiration? Those are those particular little details the Lord leaves for us that we don't notice. We talked about this on Easter. If you read on the Easter Sunday morning gospel, whenever John and Peter walk into the tomb, they notice it's empty. They notice uh, the shroud, Christ's burial cloth, but they also notice the little face cloth rolled up or folded up in the corner. And what is that? Because we believe Jesus did that to say, hey, I'm risen from the dead. Thieves didn't steal my body because the thief wouldn't have gone through the, the work and the detail to put this here. And so the Lord has left us a bunch of little folded napkins in our lives to say, hey, I'm alive. I care about you. I love you. But we are not paying attention. We don't see it. And so that's the challenge to look at those little ways the Lord has graced us or blessed us, the little folded napkins, the things that we can be thankful for, and to give him thanks. The more we do that, the less likely we are going to be to compare ourselves in the same way that the older son did. Also, the more thankful we are, the less likely we're going to be, in general, to be critical and negative. And so often, while we may not be comparing ourselves to others, a lot of us, myself included, can always gravitate towards the critical. Yeah, I'm thankful for this, but I didn't do the best job. Yeah, I appreciate the compliment about the meal that I cooked, but it could have been spicier. Or, yeah, you know, I had a great day, but this really bad thing happened. We all do it. We gravitate towards the critical and the negative, to focus on what's wrong, to focus on what's missing. And that's what the, younger, the older son did, too. Instead of saying, yeah, man, I'm really glad that he's back. I'm glad that we're having this party. He begins to be critical and to nitpick and to be negative. And so more gratitude helps us to have a more positive attitude 
and to grow in hope for the future because we're seeing the good the Lord's doing and not always harping on the negative. And ultimately and finally, all of this helps us to live in the Father's gaze. So if we are not worried about comparing ourselves, we're not worrying about the critical attitude, we are going to be able to see exactly what the Father says. What are you talking about, son? Everything I have is yours. You're always here with me. So not only the possessions, but the relationship. You're always here with me, but you're not paying attention. And so, hey, put your eyes on me. Put your eyes on my gaze that I'm looking at you. Pay attention to this and don't worry about all that other stuff. Come inside. Let us celebrate the fact that your brother is back. Focus on your relationship with me, on that unique relationship. It's not like his. You didn't make mistakes. You didn't goof around, but I love you just the same. His path is different than yours, but I love you both equally, although in a unique way. And so we're going to close with another quote from Father Jacques Philippe. I'm going to see if I can get a, a quote for each talk out of this book. I mean, it really is. It's fantastic. I'm glad I've gone back and looked over it. And it's Father Philippe talking exactly about this topic. And what's great about it is, is I didn't read the quote and then derive the talk. Once I had the idea for the talk, I stumbled upon the quote and said, this is absolutely perfect. And so I'm going to give you the quote. We're going to meditate on it. And then from that, we'll have our homework for uh, the rest of the afternoon until our final talk this evening. And so this is what Father Philippe says. Revealing himself as creator, savior, father, God reveals mankind to itself. To each of us, he reveals what is unique about us. The unique love with which God loves each one and also the unique love one can give to God and to the world is a love that no other person can give in one's place. I will never be St. Francis or St. Teresa of Calcutta, but as many saints wanted, I can love God as no one has ever yet loved him. I have a unique way of keeping God's image in me, configuring myself to Christ and being fruitful. The Father looks at each and every one of us in a unique way. Just as I know you may have a bunch of different children, you love them all equally, but you love them all the most because they're not all the same. In the same way, God the Father loves each and every one of us. But if we are constantly comparing ourselves of what the other has or what we don't have or how things aren't perfect in our lives, we're not going to be able to live in the gaze of the Father. And when that embrace comes, we're going to say, no, 
you don't love me enough. No, I'm not as good as that person. No, I'm not worthy. And our insecurity, we're going to refuse the love of the Father, but we're also going to refuse the love of our spouse and of other people. And so let's meditate today and give thanks for those unique ways the Lord does show his love for us and to open our hearts more to receive his merciful love. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>